0: Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm Audria Greenhoff, and in this interview series, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's newest and most innovative food brands out there to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. guys welcome back to the better food stories podcast the podcast that's all about celebrating today's trendsetters in the food industry i'm your host Audrea greenhoff and you guys i am so 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 excited for this episode i have been wanting to get my friend kimia kalbasi on this show for a really really long time and we finally made it happen um kimia is a food and lifestyle content creator she's also the face behind kimia's cravings.com and kimia's cravings on instagram she has a really big following and is an expert in this space she and i actually connected through some food writing work that we both do online and just kind of hit it off and became you know friends she's on the west coast i'm on the east coast but we uh talk online and She's just so nice and friendly, and she gave such a great interview, so candid, and I think you're really going to love this episode. We go deep into what it takes to be an influencer in the food space in 2019, including how to grow your Instagram following, why influence is not just about numbers, and how networking and pitching your own story can connect you with brands that you love. She also goes pretty detailed into how you can seek out partnerships with brands and also for food entrepreneurs and food brands out there. She talks about what influencers are looking for, what you can do to connect with influencers, and how to avoid influencers with fake following online. This interview is packed with information. So without further ado, I will let you kick back and listen to my interview with Kimia Kalbasi of Kimia's Cravings. I would love to start, Kimia, by you telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So, it's
1: funny, I came up with this little pitch about myself back when I was in college, but how I describe myself, essentially, is ambitious, bubbly, and charismatic, basically the ABCs of me in a quintessential nutshell, but... Yeah, Ambitious, Bubbly, and Charismatic is who I am to my core. I'm based in San Francisco. I am a foodie and content creator within the food, travel, lifestyle space, and I absolutely love it. Um, I lived in New York. I'm originally from Southern California, LA, Orange County area, and my weekends basically are encapsulated by me visiting restaurants and showcasing um, their menu offerings and fun stuff like that.
0: That's so cool. I love it. So your blog is Kemia's Cravings and yes. you're, it's your handle as well on social media? Yes. So I would love to talk about your journey and how you became this like food and lifestyle sort of influencer. How did you get started blogging and did you start with the goal of knowing that you wanted to make a name for yourself in this space?
1: Basically, ever since I was five years old, I, I truly think that whatever you want to be as a kid is what you want to be ultimately, because you know it's everything's unfiltered and yeah. Uh, so ever since I was like four or five years old, uh, or maybe even a little bit older, but I wanted to be a journalist. So it's just funny because in today's world. Um, influencers and content creators are today's modern day journalists but before I went to college I took this PR internship at a boutique agency called Melrose PR like back then I was like I thought I was so cool I was like driving from like Orange County to LA for like this internship anyways so I just remember one day my boss at the time Uh, Her name was Kelly with an EY. It'll be relevant later in the story. But she took me out to lunch with her friend Kat. And Kat at the time was writing for um, Us Weekly. And at one point I wanted to be like a celebrity news reporter like Juliana Rancic. So I was enamored by Kat. I was like, oh my God, like how did you get into the industry, all that? And she was like, oh, to be honest, Hollywood's such a soul-sucking industry. Um, I'm actually trying to get get out of it. I was like, okay, for sure. Anyways, fast forward, my first job out of college, I worked at a tech company, like, doing sales, like, nowhere close to anything that aligned with my true interests. But uh, one day, I was on LinkedIn, and I stumbled upon Kat's profile, and I saw that she was no longer at Us Weekly, and she was writing for this food and travel site called The Daily Meal, so I sent her an email and I was like, oh, like, hey, long time, no talk or see, like, um, like basically I outright asked her if I could write for this outlet as well, just because at the time, like, you know, I just had this secure tech job and I, I wanted to do something creative and like, you know, have that creative outlet and just like do sure. something for fun. Like it, from, it wasn't about the money or anything. I just like wanted to do something fun that like, involved what I enjoyed doing. Mm-hmm. So she responded immediately and she looks like, so great to hear from you. Like, I would love to connect you with, um the editor-in-chief Chelsea but just so you know like this would be unpaid but it would be great to build a portfolio I was like oh yeah like I was like at that point I didn't care about getting paid I just wanted to do it for fun yeah so yeah from there she connected me to the editor-in-chief Chelsea who's one of my good friends now and it was so funny because like I literally did not know what I was doing I was starting as soon as I started writing for the daily meal and I started getting like these invites to restaurants and like hotels and press trips I would just be like okay cool I'll go to this event I'll go to that I'll go to this like sure um so I like I was just like saying yes to everything and like going to it and it's funny because at the same time I always loved social media and documenting what I was doing like me and my friends or, like what restaurants I would go to so to me at the time this was before the term influencer was even a thing but to me at the time I was like oh cool like this will be like more content for me to like you know showcase on like, social media mm-hmm. so I was doing it so consistently with all the like event invites and restaurant, um, media, uh, visits and all that, that, um, I remember one day one of my friends reached out to me, Ellie from college from high school. She reached out and she was like, okay, oh, I'm so surprised you never started a food blog. Like you go to all these amazing places. Um, and then that's when the light bulb ticked. So I was like, Oh, like that." I like still have the notes in my phone from like three years ago. I had like this brainstorm. I like had all these like weird names, like hungry heart feels for meals. And then my cousin, Parisa, is actually the one who recommended Kimia's Cravings to me because she was like, oh, like, she's like, you love alliteration. It's my favorite literary device. And she's like, how about, like, if you did Cravings? Because what if, like, as you grow, you enter other verticals beyond food, beauty and, like, lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, like, that's a good idea. So, and then at that time, around that time, I remember I had some kind of following. I had, like, a little under 2,000 followers. And I know some people, when they start, like, a new name or something like that they like to start from zero but I was like you know what? I'm going to leverage the current audience I have and build from there so I changed my name from Kimi kalbasi to Kimi's Cravings and I was doing it so consistently to the point where um, it led to where I am today and as I was writing for the daily meal um, as all these restaurant invites kept coming um, I remember one day Chelsea forwarded me something they were opening up like a Taco Licious in Santana Row and I remember it came from this woman it, like when I when she forwarded it it said um, the original email person was Kelly with an EY and I was like oh, I wonder if this is my first boss for my first internship like years ago I scrolled it's down it said Kelly Coglin, founder of Melrose Pure and I was like literally the chills came up my spine <laughs> I was like how serendipitous like because of Kelly I met Kat who connected me to Chelsea and here's Chelsea bringing me back to Kelly and it then I called came her.
0: full circle <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly it was like Literally full circle. I was like, wow, that networking came came in clutch. But I just love how it comes in full circle.
0: It does. That is so cool how it all, you know, you took a chance on on an an internship and then took a chance on writing for the Daily Meal. That's so cool. Like,
1: oh, you got to love Snapchat or, like, whatever. When they say, like, oh, this is what you did a year ago or two years ago, three years ago, I'm like, whoa. Um, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I've embarked on and the people that I've met along the way.
0: Yeah, and in such a short um, amount of time, that's really cool. It
1: didn't feel like it day by day, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you recognizing that. I love. It.
0: Well, you and I kind of met through the internet space in the food writing kind of content creation space. And um, one of the questions that I get a lot from other food writers and bloggers that I talk to is, how do I get more followers on social media? And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because, you know, I do a lot of writing, but I'm not by any stretch of the imagination influential on social media. And I wanted somebody who has built that kind of following to give their insight. So you have close to 20,000 followers on Instagram alone. So I'd say you've definitely had some success on the platform. What has helped you grow your audience?
1: It's a great question. Um, Honestly, it's the fact that I've been so consistent and creating a community out of the engagement. But even beyond that, in this day and age, especially with algorithms and everything, for me, the follower growth isn't as vital in terms of like everyone wants to have like a million followers or this and that for me, it's not so much about the vanity metrics, but cultivating the content for my current audience. And then, um, you know, if they share the content or if like a friend of a friend, uh, says like, Oh, you should follow Kimmy's cravings or whatever. Like that for me is so much more impactful than like, Oh my God, I need to like hit 10 K followers by next month. Right. Because sometimes like, like your audience doesn't necessarily translate to to your content so for me it's more about like having that community of um quality over quantity I Mm -hmm. mean of course sometimes I also I think brands need to understand that too where it's not always all about oh like you should work with this blogger because they have two million followers whereas this one only has two thousand but it's like you have to like dig deeper with that in terms of like, Oh, who is their audience? Like, what is the demographic? Where is their audience uh, based in? So I think it goes a lot deeper, but in terms of how I built it, my audience, I would say uh, in a nutshell, um, keeping up with consistent um, thematic um, content, as well as um, also attending a lot of um, influencer events where I would constantly network because um, like, beyond that, like, you have to also show up, it's not about just, like, people think it's, like, oh, you just, like, post cute pictures, and, like, you grow, like, it, like people think, like, oh, create content, and it will come, like, I am here to debunk that, there's so much more behind it, and mm-hmm. so, that's that in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, do you, um do you have, like, a, a content calendar that you work with that you're kind of, planning out what you're going to be talking about. Tell me about that process.
1: Totally. Um, to be honest, I've always been more of a <laughs> wing it type of gal. Okay. Where, um, but yeah, no, it's funny because sometimes I thought about having a content calendar, but honestly, um, my day to day or like sometimes my weeks are like a lot of times, like I'll plan things like a month in advance, whether it's like the restaurants I'm going to or like where I'm traveling to or whatever I'm going on, is going on or what brands are, I'm, going to be working with that I will have on the content calendar but Mm -hmm. in terms of like um not like a like oh day by day this is what I'm going to It's basically based on um my day-to-day life that will be contingent of what I post
0: right but like you're saying it's consistent you're showing up every day and you're staying within a theme so it's not you know you're talking about food one day and then all of a sudden you're talking about something completely different to like To confuse the audience. So consistency in in the themes that you're talking about, as well as how often you're showing up. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned, you know, having, you know, building a community and having that be really important, because I think we're seeing that with brands now as well, that there's this whole like rise of the micro influencer that people want to um, work with, you know, influencers or content creators that are a little bit smaller, but have like highly engaged audiences rather than, you know, the person with a million followers, but maybe isn't as, um, you know, niched in, in the type of people who are following them. So I like that the brands are starting to realize that too.
1: Totally, and actually, fun fact: there's also a new term called nano influencer, and it's basically influencers who have a little less than 2k. And these could be like your, you know, next door neighbor, like a girl in high school, or like uh, the guy next door. Like it's basically anyone who has like a much smaller. It's like an even smaller audience than the micro influencer, but they essentially work for in exchange for free products because for them it's more of like oh this is such a cool experience like we're getting all this like free like x y and z and then i I would love to share that with my audience because it's more of like it's a lot more organic even in that at that point
0: yeah and i love that you mentioned that because this takes me into my next question let's talk a little bit about sponsorships and partnerships um This is one of the, I guess, major ways for bloggers and influencers to monetize, um, but also, you know, like for for smaller brands to kind of be able to get new product um, for free and things like that, which can be fun too. So how have you found brands to collaborate with and what's your advice to bloggers or content creators who want to do this?
1: Oh, Totally. Uh, it's it all boils down to networking because for as long as I can remember, I, I even loved going to networking events, as cheesy as that sounds, and just love meeting people and just never know anyone's story. And um, in terms of uh, specifying, in terms of this space, um, I would always go to like a lot of PR events where I knew there'd be um, people within that space or like brands and understanding um, who to talk to, and also like even going on LinkedIn as like a secondary form, but um, gathering emails, um, also like following certain brands that I personally enjoy and hide like to, um, uh, intertwine them with my own content. So I would say it boils down to networking and then maintaining that relationship, like not just for the sake of like, Oh, like I want to, you know, just get paid to do a post and then like never talk to them to them again. It's more about like having that. Uh, cadence where you know you go to coffee with them, you understand what they need what um, what they're looking for. So um, and I, in an ideal world, people love people think it's always about getting reached out to you like, oh, like X, Y and Z brands um, reach out to you for this. but to be honest, my favorite is when I pitch myself and basically completing that full funnel from pitching myself to working with that brand on a long term basis. And then from there, they'll even recommend you to other brands. I mean, obviously not their competitors, but, um, at that point. So it boils down to networking and, um, just like, just really telling your story and sharing that. And, um, also another trick I would also recommend is, um, like whatever your favorite brands are, just reaching out to them on Instagram, like finding their emails on, um, like like Instagram is just such a powerful platform. Like you can find so much information on there, whether that's like the email or like um, email or like simply messaging them yourself and asking like, like, Hey, I'd love to collab. And then so a lot of times they'll, if they want to work with you, they'll give you a direct email um, to the uh, appropriate contact for who to reach out to. And then creating a template or like a media kit and having all that prepared so that you can basically showcase your value as to why, um, of a certain brand should work with
0: you. Yeah, and I love how you said just not waiting for brands to come to you, kind of going out there and seeing who you like and, and putting yourself out there and pitching yourself. Because, yeah, the, those are the types of opportunity that maybe we wouldn't get otherwise if we don't just go for it.
1: Totally. I actually create media kits and templates and all that if anyone's interested.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Have you found that by – so say a content creator, you know, decides to go on Instagram, finds a brand they really like, reaches out, and is able to do a collaboration, maybe not um, for t- to get paid right away, but maybe for a free product to start with. Have you found that doing that attracts other brands um, to you? And have you had people reach out to you as a result of seeing your other collaborations?
1: Oh, 100%. I've actually noticed um... – the more that I work with brands, the more I'll even get reached out by other brands. But then, obviously, that doesn't always mean that you have to say yes, or maybe it's not. It's just like the same in terms of, like, if a brand doesn't necessarily want to work with you, that doesn't mean that you necessarily want to work with them either. But, um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Like as you create the momentum, well, let's say, um, for instance, um, let's say Uber, Uber wants to work with you in terms of launching their Uber Visa card. Mm -hmm. Um, but then also American express also wants to work with you. So then like, obviously that's a conflict of interest. You can't be promoting two credit cards at once because I mean, number one, that does not look good for you. And then number two, like that just doesn't look authentic because like, okay, do you use the Uber card? Do you use the Amex card? Like your audience is confused. It's like, okay, do you just (laughs) promote any credit card that approaches you? So, um, and then obviously like on, on this, like on even a legally binding, like, a lot of brands won't even allow that. So, um, I've even had those um, occurrences happen where I'll agree to one brand and then another one reaches out, but then once they find out, I was like, oh, sorry, like I'm already working with so-and-so, then, like, okay, no, we can't until maybe, like, six months or a year down the line. Sometimes they have, like, strict um, time limits as well.
0: Right, and that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, like, rightfully so, But, um, but... As my long winded answer is yes. (laughs) Um, The more you (laughs) work with brands, the more um, it'll attract others as well.
0: I love that. So, a lot of people who listen to this podcast are content creators or food writers, but I think the other half are people who are food entrepreneurs. um, And I've had a lot of conversations and interviews with. Um, people who have food brands or restaurants. So for those people who are listening to this episode what is your advice for them when it comes to finding and connecting with content creators or influencers? Number one, do you think that it should be part of their marketing strategy and number two, how should they go about um, finding these people?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Honestly, I'm also the type of person where I can see both sides I mean, I'm constantly reading articles like one day you'll read an article where it's like, oh, by 2020 or like by like 2023, uh, the influencer marketing space will be like a trillion dollars. And then like other days you'll read an article like influencer marketing is dying, especially with like everything <laughs> in the media where it's like, you know, some of them are not disclosing the hashtag ad or like obviously like whatever the happened with the college scandal and all that kind of stuff. So um, basically it all boils down to what your needs are for your business and for your own personal audience. So I think that everyone should try influencer marketing because at that point it's you have to be strategic in terms of who you want to work with. And something as simple as, let's say I'm um, restaurant ma and pa and like based in like Bakersfield, like go on Instagram, go on to the, um, what do you call it, the places um, search bar and then like you type in Bakersfield and then from there it'll show you the top performing um, creators that posted that day in who geotagged Bakersfield. So from there you can reach out, like becoming very geo targeted Mm -hmm. um, is a great start.
0: And what advice would you give to anybody who might be weary of, you know, like the, the fake follower, the fake engagement, how's a good way for a brand to kind of tell that um, an influencer has, a legitimately engaged audience? Is it looking at the comments, looking at how often they're posting? What do you think?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I personally, I've I've been in this space long enough to I can, like, right off the bat, like, in a snap, I can tell. Really? um, Yeah, but for those who are um, less adept to the space, Mm -hmm. I would say, number one, um, asking for their analytics, Um, and then also, like, even taking a deeper dive into, like, you know, doing your own due diligence and research of, like, who is commenting their posts or, like, um, like, sometimes, like, I've seen comments on other people's where it'll be, like, what a cute dog, and then it's, like, the picture, there's no dog in it. It's, like, okay, that was clearly an automated one, but, um, (laughs) you can also tell from the engagement rate or also, like, okay, let's say they have, like, 5,000 followers, but then they have, like, whatever, 6,000 likes. I'm, like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So, um. Those are
0: kind of red flags.
1: Totally. And then obviously, like, if you have, like, more of a budget, there's also more robust software, like, software analytics where um, that can better track that. But, I mean, it is definitely a gray line because, you know, when you buy the photos, you can buy the likes, and you can honestly look legitimate, but not
0: necessarily be so. Right, definitely. And then also your own
1: ROI translates. Let's say you ask, like, let's say you happen to work with, influencer that didn't deliver exactly what you had intended and then that's also another way but but yeah you just have to be more wary of who you want to just know who you want to work with and why you want to work with them not necessarily because those one million followers could have like 50% fake um audience so right
0: I love that that's great advice So as someone who is immersed in this space and food and travel and lifestyle, what do you think separates the really successful brands from everybody else? And what do you look for? Like when you're going to collaborate, what makes you excited about working with a specific food brand?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I'm, oh, I definitely have a lot of brands that I've been really excited about, whether I already had tried them before and then like, they reached out or actually it's even more funny when it's even funnier when there have been brands that i reached out to and then they said no at the time but then a year later they they're like hey we'd love to work with you I'm like as if they as if I never pitched them myself yeah but, but basically what makes me excited is when like especially the ones that I'm actually like a genuine um fan over I like totally fangirl like I'll even give examples like um I love perfect Bar. like I'm obsessed with those like I can live off those if I could. Um, I've done a campaign with them, but I would say just like whether, like, just understanding if the, your own brand, uh, brand values resonate with their own and the audience is there. And um, especially like it's a product that you genuinely enjoy. Uh, it's like almost like no
0: questions asked. I think that's important because I think even through all the noise of social media, I think you can really tell when influencers are just promoting things for the sake of promoting them. And then I've seen other influencers that get really, really excited over things and you could tell they, they really use them or they really are big fans. So I think that that resonates through even, you know, 15 second Instagram video. Absolutely. Cool. So what do you wish more brands or restaurant concepts would be doing? What would you like to see more of in the food space?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question.
0: I would love to see. Honestly,
1: uh, what irks me is when I see well, some brands they'll market themselves as being super healthy, but then when you when you like read the ingredients, like oh, the first ingredient is sugar. Mm-hmm. So that, because I personally have been, you know, like especially with marketing and branding, like like there's actually a lot of. I think there's a lot more products out there that. Have beautiful branding and aesthetic than actual great products and it's very rare that you find especially this like you said just like how social media is so noisy nowadays even the food and snack space and restaurant space is so overly cluttered and saturated but I would love to see more transparency it's like okay it's like if you have sugar in your products don't try to say like oh like you know because that's people think like oh it's natural or like it's real ingredients, like. Like, I mean, obviously, it all like it pertains to people um, differently, but I would just say in terms of just being more transparent and then delivering more on experiences, like, obviously, brands want ultimately want more sales, that's what's going to pay their bills, but um, just um, also experimenting more with um, just spending that time with their own consumers and, and not focusing just so much on their own brand, but... Going back to the whole community building, and um, whether it's like responding back to their comments or um, or like to their customer service, or um, like not even just like hosting influencer events because that like that comes off as um, like oh a little too exclusive and like obviously don't get me wrong those are fun and everything but like mm-hmm. also like you know doing things for like their true loyal fans who are not necessarily influencers.
0: Yeah, I think that's really it. <laughs> Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you for sharing all of your insight. I think on both sides for food businesses and food influencers, you gave really, really good insight on both ends of it. So thank you so much. Of This is so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Before we wrap up, I would love to, I usually do some fun kind of off topic, rapid fire style questions. Are you up for doing some of those? Oh, I'm born ready. Awesome. Okay, so number one, what is your favorite day of the week and why?
1: Ooh, uh, I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with me on this, but I actually have truly found um, a new appreciation for Sundays. Um, because I just love having, like, like Sunday mornings, like, like, your coffee, and it's more mellow, and it's, like, your day to... It's like the day to like unwind from the weekend, and then it's also the day to get ready for the week. So I love how versatile it is in that sense. And it's like the less, the least pressure because obviously Friday people are exhausted from work. Saturday it's more like oh, like you know, being outside or like going out and whatever. But Sunday's more of like treat it as like a me day.
0: Yes, I love that. I like Sundays. They're always oh. more a little more relaxed than the rest of the exactly. week. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, number two, what is the last movie or TV show that you've watched?
1: Ooh, it's funny because even my own friends tell me, uh, like, Kimi, I can't imagine you sitting still watching a movie. And I don't remember the last time I actually watched a movie, but I must say, if I do watch TV, I'm like sickly obsessed with Friends.
0: (laughs) Yes, I could still watch Friends all the time. My husband loves it. And anytime it's on, he just leaves it on in the background or we'll watch it at night. Such a good show. It's such a good show because it's just like lighthearted, mindless,
1: and it's just like always a feel-good show. And
0: yeah, I love having it in the background as well. (laughs) Number three, if you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be?
1: Oh, easy. (laughs) Sweet potatoes. Um, Oh my god, honestly, I could like say sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes, and sweet potatoes. Really? (laughs) I love how versatile they are And like, because I have a very sweet, I have a huge sweet tooth, but like I just love... The, like, the health benefits of sweet potatoes, and I just, like, love how you can do so many things with them, like, you can make, like, sweet potato fries, or you can make, uh, sweet potato toast, you can, like, make them however you want them, but, um, let's see, what else? Ooh, okay, sweet potatoes, Persian food, um, not to be biased, but my mom's Persian cooking is the best, but, um, let's see, sweet potatoes, <laughs> um, Persian food, and I would say, Ooh, like, honestly, like, anything, like, seafood, whether it's sushi or grilled salmon. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's very good. And then if I could add number four, it would be dark chocolate.
0: Ooh, I love dark chocolate, too. Do you go, like, dark, dark, like, 80% or more?
1: Yes. I. I, One time I tried 99%, and I regretted it (laughs) initially, like, that was pushing it. But I'd say, like, like, 70 and above.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I could do 70. I think I tried up to 90. The 90 wasn't so good, but I could do 70, 75. That's my my happy zone. 90 to
1: 99, it's like, like like, (laughs) this is literally the cacao.
0: (laughs) Okay, number four, what's one thing most people would never guess about you?
1: Ooh, that is a great question. I would say that, okay. I know. So despite, again, with like you know, with social media being like basically a highlight reel and like, honestly, it's not even a scrape of the surface of anyone's life. Um, I would say, um, uh, as much as I love being around people and I love being super extroverted and everything, like I definitely have an introverted side. Um, or like sometimes all I want to do is like read a book <laughs> and you would never guess that. Cause I, I feel like I'm always with people or I, always um, out and about, but sometimes I really just crave, like, that, like, mellow time of, like, just truly
0: disconnecting and
1: doing something as simple as reading a book.
0: <laughs> I love that. I think we all need that sometimes.
1: No, to- 100%, <laughs> especially in this day and age. <laughs>
0: totally. So where can people go online to learn more about you?
1: Um, you can go on Instagram and find me, Kenia's Cravings. Or you can also um, go on
0: Perfect. And I'll include links on that in the description of this episode so people can connect with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you want to check out more interviews in the Better Food Stories series, you can follow me at Audria Greenhoff on Medium or visit audriagreenhoff.com. I'm also Audrey Greenhoff on Twitter and Instagram.